0: Welcome to Starter Stories, a podcast that explores the stories behind the world's leading education technology companies and education consultancies and the people who created them. In each episode, you'll hear about the grit, the strategies, the wins, the failures, and the serendipity that transpired to take a half-baked idea and bring it to life. Starter Stories is a podcast of Enrollify, a learning community for enrollment managers and higher education marketers. Explore our other shows, like Fanatical Fridays and CRM Prov., or access creative ideas on how to better your student recruitment campaigns via our videos, blogs, and e-courses at enrollify.org. I'm your host, Zach Cruz. Enjoy the show. In just a moment, you'll meet Cooper Jones, co-founder of Rara a community engagement system that provides a simple solution to give students the inclusive and supportive experience that they need to thrive while on campus. When Cooper was five years old, he came back from Sunday school one afternoon and proclaimed to his parents that he wanted to be a preacher and a motocross driver. And while these dreams shifted a bit as he grew up, he does have a passion for community building and Ironman racing. So, hey, there's (laughs) at least some consistency here. After studying finance at Oklahoma State, Cooper went to work in consulting at Accenture. And it was there that he was placed on a project serving a higher education client. Working with this university opened Cooper's eyes to the incredible challenges that today's institutions face. And before too long, ideas for how he might build technology to help address these challenges began to percolate. Tune in to hear the story behind how and why Cooper started RARA. All right, without further ado, get ready to meet cooper all right cooper if i were to grab a happy hour with some of your closest buddies and if i were to ask them to tell me a little bit about cooper what do you imagine that they would say is there is there a story that they might just immediately start telling me
1: um it probably depends on who you ask and I'm thankful that I've got a group of friends that I grew up with outside of Chicago, a group of friends from college, and now a group of friends in New York, and you know all these sorts of things. But you know, probably the first one that comes to mind is um, if you were to be, you know, having a coffee or a drink with any of my college buddies, they probably would just automatically, you know, re- start referring to me as, uh, and their nickname for me was the V8, you know, like the an V8. engine.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Um, And I think, you know, that's less so from the college days of like partying or anything silly like that. And more so, it's just someone that's always high energy, always kind of doing something, um, you know, motivating other people or kind of getting things going, probably to the detriment of my roommates, you know, on a Saturday morning or something like that. Um, But yeah, that's probably one thing. And, you know, as far as, you know, any of my New York friends, probably you know, would be always down for a laugh, uh, up for a good time. Um, but really, really looking for the good in people and just trying to motivate them.
0: Love it. Hey, uh, those are some great adjectives, good descriptors. Um, <laughs> yeah, you can, uh, please don't refer to me
1: for the rest of this interview. as, as, podcast, as the Yeah, please don't. <laughs> uh,
0: we'll see. We will see. Um, Maybe next time we're like doing an interview or something over over a couple beers, it might just slip out. But I, I yeah, think we're yeah. in the clear for now. <laughs>
1: I'm, I'm pretty dialed in, but yeah. Anyways, uh,
0: so talk us through your morning routine. So you your alarm goes off and and kind of what happens next.
1: Yeah, well, I guess it's uh, you know on par with what my you know previous nickname was, um, but currently it starts pretty early. I'm training for my second Ironman. Um, oh, nice. So I'm usually you know, up at about 4.30, 4.45, um, having a cup of coffee, a bunch of water. And now that it's starting to warm up, taking the bike off of the wall and going out for a ride, which is awesome to do. People don't realize New York City has got some amazing cycling culture. So whether it's through Central Park Loop um, or it's getting out of town a little bit, and then, you know, usually that wraps up and it's probably another cup of coffee and either going to the pool um, or just getting my day going. And so typically it starts out with a workout of some sort of training and then just diving right in. Uh, the first thing I like to do is check in with the team, not in, you know, the sense of what you get done, uh, how are things going, but really, how can I help you? What's going on? Is there anything that's on your mind? All those sorts of things. Uh, And then usually a quick Slack message to the team saying, let's have a great day.
0: Nice. Nice. Ooh, I like that. So you're waking up at 4.30, 4.45. What time do you go to sleep? Lately,
1: usually around midnight or so. Uh, And We're growing a lot, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, And so it's a lot of long hours. Um, And so, you know, I'm really fueled by coffee and by water. Um, And so, yeah, usually it's, you know, meetings, meetings. from eight nine until six or seven usually uh, my co-founder who's the best sam and i will chat you know in the evenings do stuff that we need to do more strategically and then it's actual work so answering emails taking care of decks giving comments all those sorts of fun things um and then yeah usually uh trying to find time to wind down and you know avoid social media so that i can just fall right asleep yeah
0: yeah dang dude that's a that's a lot i As somebody who like loves his sleep, I, I'm just exhausted by, by that schedule. Like I, like for me, I catch up, I catch up sometimes on the weekends Yeah, uh, and I definitely have invested,
1: (laughs) it's silly to say, but a skin regimen so that I don't always look dog tired. Um,
0: (laughs) I guess you have to, man. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Something like that. But it's, uh, yeah, it works for me and, uh, you know, it has balance, um, you know, to a certain degree and, uh, it just kind of keeps me sane. And it's a great way to just all that stress that you have in running a business kind of gets poured out every single morning. Um, So it's it's a nice little escape for a little bit before the day gets going.
0: Do you have, like, are you one of those people? I, I remember reading a, I don't know if I was reading one of his books or heard him on a podcast, but. You know Seth Godin talks a lot about how he like eats the same thing like religiously for breakfast because it's like one last decision or one less decision that he has to like make in a day. Are you are you like one of those people? No. Or, like, like what do you what do you eat for breakfast? No, absolutely not.
1: Like I guess I I have a routine, but you know there's certain founders or you know podcast hosts and who are you know regimented to one. But when it comes to eating, it's probably why I still have a belly. Is because I kind of eat what I want, and you know. But typically, yeah, it's you know something relatively light in the uh, for lunch, and then um, I'll usually step away in the evenings for an hour or so to cook dinner. I really enjoy cooking, so that's something that I enjoy. And uh, yeah, it's kind of one more thing I get to do.
0: Have you like experimented with a new recipe lately that you're like especially proud of? Uh-huh.
1: Uh, well, I've fallen in love with an air fryer, uh, so much so that I got my parents one actually. Now they are obsessed with it. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I love cooking Italian food. I grew up in a very, uh, heavily Italian, uh, you know, populated suburb. And so there was a lot of that. Uh, and I guess it kind of stuck with me.
0: I like that. I like it. Well, hey, um, uh, next time I'm in the city, I'm coming over for, for dinner so you can cook me something. You're more than welcome to it.
1: <laughs> Before the pandemic,
0: um, you know, we would do
1: team dinners when everyone was together. Now our team is completely distributed across the nation. Um, but, you know, half of our team dinners and, you know, outings would be going out, doing something fun. Uh, and then the other half would actually be having people over to my apartment to cook for everyone. Um, which was fun and it was challenging because some people like certain things, some people uh, abide by certain certain diets, um, and it was always fun. And frankly, it was you know probably something I haven't said to any of them, but it was a heck of a lot cheaper too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to, to cook for ten people and you know get a couple of bottles of wine and iced tea or whatever it may be versus going out um, you know to some restaurant. So there's a little bit of a hack in there, but it definitely was the most memorable team outings that we've had have been around my kitchen table.
0: Oh, I love that, dude. That's great. That's great. So growing up, what what did you want to be? Like, do you like if someone were to ask you as a, let's say 10, 12-year-old, hey, Cooper, what do you want to be when you grow up? How, how would you have answered that question?
1: Um, well, there's a funnier answer, which is if you would have asked me at like four or five, I remember uh, I came home from Sunday school one day or met up with my parents and said that I wanted to be uh, a creature and a motocross a motocross driver and so <laughs> like two complete ends of the spectrum well that's beautiful but I think that I, yeah <laughs> i think i realized that uh motocross wasn't really in my future um and you know from there i actually had no idea um you know my mom was in retail uh my dad was in banking and finance um and so i had exposure to certain things but i had no idea really even until college. Uh, And that's why starting my career in consulting was such a great place to start because you got to do so many different things, work with so many different industries. Um, But yeah, I I had no idea for a long time. And I think that's the case for a lot of people, which is okay. I mean, heck, there's a lot of people that still don't know what they wanna do. And that's fine too. I mean, even I'm 29 and obviously I know what I'm doing right now and what I wanna be doing, but I'm still young. And so what is 40 going to look like? What is 50 going to look like? No idea.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so well said. And I think what's what's cool about your story, which we'll unpack a little bit more of in in a second, is it's always, I, I feel like people try to do a couple of things. It's either like, I have to figure out what I'm going to do, what my master plan is, so that like I have an answer when someone asks me that question. And I think that sometimes like, because because there can be this pressure to to have a good answer you almost like unintentionally uh carve a destiny that you might not actually want but one that just like sounds good when uh when so, when you're asked the question and what's cool is it sounds like you've been able to approach life with like a fair amount of discipline and intentionality but also a lot of openness and a lot of like yeah. a lot of willingness to kind of like fly by the seat of your pants a little bit and and kind of see what opportunities present themselves before, you know, getting settled too quickly.
1: And I think that, you know, my generation, um, and, you know, probably, you know, Gen Z to a degree as well, but definitely millennials, we sometimes get infatuated with status. You know, I want to be uh, a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be, you know, in finance or whatever it may be, um, You know because of what it can lead to uh which are you know great career outcomes and all those sorts of things but the best piece of advice that frankly i haven't followed because i'm guilty of it too uh i mean i love what i do every day and we provide an impact um but is that there are you know a lot of you know non-pretty ways uh to make you know a great career Yeah, yeah some of the most successful people That I know are electricians, uh, are pipe fitters, uh, sell sausage, uh, and you know sell semi truck trailers. And so, you know, these are all incredible career tracks. That yeah, maybe it's not going to get you in Forbes or anything like that. And really, who cares about that in the first place? Um, But it's you know it's going to something that you could be passionate about and that you could provide a great living for you and your loved ones.
0: Yeah, yeah, so well said. So. Speaking of your your parents and and kind of growing up and in you, your family here, how how did your parents talk about education? Like, was was it sort of a this foregone conclusion that you would go to college? Like, what were your parents' perceptions of higher education, and and how did they coach you through the process as a high school student, if at all?
1: Yeah, well, it was you know it was kind of implicit that both my sister and I we're going to go to college. It was really never a question, which that's a privilege. Um, Majority of college students today don't have that privilege. They're not having, you know, that mindset. And that's where words like grit and resiliency and persistence come in is because they charted their own path, they carved their own path um, and they're probably better for it. Um, But, you know, for us, it was just something that we assumed that we were going to do. And that's probably because uh, my parents went to school as well. Um, and it was definitely traditional, whereas now there are many paths that involve higher ed or don't, um, which I think is a good thing. I think, you know, our economy runs on optionality and so that's okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Did you think while in high school that you, were, were you pretty sure that you wanted to study finance, which you ultimately did at Oklahoma state or like what, what, no. what did you think you'd study when it in high school?
1: I had no idea. Um, you know, I knew that. Uh, my mom was in retail, um, but, you know, probably what you can tell by my dorky shirt today that, you know, fashion isn't really my forte, uh, or retail. Uh, and it's funny cause my sister is, uh, an entrepreneur as well and she's in the retail space. Um, and then, so, you know, I went in as a general business student and realized that I wasn't, you know, creative enough to, or left brain thinking enough to do something like marketing. Um, and you know it always been pretty good with math and so something like finance kind of made sense hmm. it was you know natural or an easy path to a degree um and i saw that it provided good opportunities but i had no idea um you know pretty much up until i went and started at Accenture, i was like okay i am doing finance
0: yeah yeah super super interesting do you remember while in college so you you went to oklahoma state and do you, do you remember like a class or a professor or like some aspect of your educational experience that either gave you an inkling that you might want to start your own company one day and, or taught you something unexpected about how business works that you've sort of held on to to this day? And if so, what, what is that? What was that?
1: You no, know, I had a professor whose name is uh, Dr. Andy Urich, um, who was probably a lot of people at Oklahoma State's favorite professor. And the reason was, is that he just encouraged everyone um, to kind of challenge the status quo, to ask questions, to seek improvement. And so I think that that planted a little bit of seed, bit of a seed. But my biggest inspiration and catalyst to me starting a business with Sam, it wasn't just me and it's not just Samurai, it's our entire team. is my sister uh she went to oklahoma state as well she started her career at a big company then moved to a startup and she started a business um, that brought people and brings people joy every day and she's you know wakes up every day happy motivated uh and is building something really really great she actually i'm so i could brag about her all day uh she got forbes 30 under 32 years ago Oh, nice. um, i'm just so so proud of her I've always looked up to her, and so you know what was it? Now four years ago, when RaRo started, it's like, well, if my sister can do this, I can do it, uh, <laughs> and then I just kind of took a different path in the software space.
0: I like that a lot. Are you, um, are you two to this day like very close? Like, do you like do you wrestle with ideas with her, or like uh, oh, what yeah, is your relationship yeah. like now? Okay, so
1: she, she's my best friend. Nice. Um So we talk all the time, uh, and my poor parents at the dinner table. You know, our conversations are you Know a lot of you know, four of us chatting, laughing, giving each other, giving each other heck. Um, but most times they quickly shift into talking about her business, my business, things that we could do better, people, um, you know, how we can build people up, manage, grow, all those sorts of things. And so, my parents probably just roll their eyes whenever <laughs> the two of us are in a room together. They're
0: like, what did we create? We created these monsters, yeah, yeah these monsters. Exactly. <laughs> oh, I like it, I love it. Um, so. After Oklahoma State, you go to Accenture and I'm I'm wondering, is is there a lesson or two that you that you learn there that, again, you you hearken back to to this day? And or that was just especially impactful as you thought about creating your your own company?
1: Yeah. Uh, So the two best things that ever happened to me at Accenture were one um, meeting my co-founder, who's, you know, a great business partner, heck of a lot smarter than I am. Uh, and also a very dear friend, um, and so that was a blessing. And then the second was less so. What a taught me from a training or from a you know work environment or experience perspective, but you know that was a an opportunity and a career path that I really had to fight and claw for. Um, Oklahoma State is a great school, uh, I think severely underrated. But my peers that I started at a with were coming from Ivy League schools. They wow. were coming from all of these great, great schools. And it was the realization, once I was amongst those people, that there was no difference between myself or any of them, uh, and especially no difference in that one line item on our resume uh, with where we got our degree from. Hmm. And I realized that you know Oklahoma State did a great job in preparing me in social skills and professional development and just how to show up to work every day. Um, and so I think that I, you know, had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder after really fighting my way to that, you know, company. Um, but then from there I realized that there's no difference here other than that one line item. And so, you know, I don't need to have imposter syndrome. I don't need to, um, you know, be sheepish about where I went to school or what I studied or even what my grades were. Um, you know, it's about being kind to people, making people feel good genuinely and working your tail off.
0: Yeah, yeah. Such good learnings, especially as, I, th- I think a lot of people don't learn that until until later and they, you know, fight this like imposter syndrome for for in sometimes, de- you know, in some cases, decades. Um, and I think that it's cool that you like recognize that early on and and we're able to, you know, realize, wait a second. I, I have a lot of value to contribute here. And at the end of the day, like, you know, no one's necessarily people might be, have been on different tracks than me. But like, I, I actually have something to contribute that is that is perceived as valuable. And that's, I think, a, a very, very important lesson for for any professional. Definitely. So would you have described yourself? as an entrepreneur in, in this season in life? So like if if someone were to kind of bump into you at a, a happy hour or a coffee at your during your time at Accenture and they were to talk to you about a business idea, would you have like latched onto that and would you would you have yes. considered yourself entrepreneurial? Okay. Okay. So
1: Yeah, from, so- from an early age, like you know, to the point where I wanted to as a kid like bottle my own you know, burger or steak sauce or something and sell it. And I had this great idea. And, you know, obviously that didn't go anywhere. I was nine, um, to, you know, in high school, uh, starting a t-shirt business that, you know, I would design t-shirts, I'd pay for them up front and then they would be, you know, kind of the high school fan shirts to wear to football games or basketball games, uh, for the student section. Um, I did that all four years of college. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, I think I've always kind of had some knack for entrepreneurship. Love it. At a very, very different scale than what rah-rah is, is today. <laughs> <It's> today.
0: <laughs> so as you, as you um, progressed throughout your, your career, you've thought about bottling hot sauce. You were working at uh, uh, designing t-shirts. What um, was there? Did you, did you have like a, a quote unquote, like real business idea that like you thought, all right, this is that there, there are legs to this before Rara, like, but you know, but, but between college and, 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 and Rara, was there, was there any idea that you thought might have some interesting opportunity or legs to it? And if so, what, what was that idea? Yeah. um
1: There was an idea that I kicked around that was around, that was, you know, built around you know, kind of corporate philanthropy and volunteering. Hmm. Um, Saw that, you know, a lot of companies, uh, you know, encourage and pay for their employees to volunteer and to give back to the community, but there could be a platform built around that. Um, But, you know, as luck would have it, I got placed on a project with uh, an institution and realized that there was so much opportunity for impact and change and improvement in the higher ed space, specifically around technology. And that's kind of when I had the light bulb moment for Rara, when I thought back to my days at Oklahoma State. And, you know, it was a kid that grew up in Chicago. And so I knew no one there other than my sister. Um, and day one that I arrived, I was set up for success. There was someone there saying, this is where this is. This is how this works, who you should talk to, what you would be interested in. And I had a great experience. Hmm. Um, And that's also a privilege. You know, majority of students today aren't what we call traditional students. They're first generation, they're commuting, they're veterans, they have families, so on and so forth. And so that was kind of this, you know, big idea of, well, you know, my sister probably will not appreciate this, but is there an opportunity to kind of replicate that experience uh for everyone so that anyone arrives on a college campus the moment they arrive they kind of have their path and they've got a really easy way of going about doing things with their student experience
0: yeah yeah that's uh i mean you you're you're hitting like sort of like a pain point that i think everyone a lot of people listening to this are like nodding their heads probably thinking like yep yep we've thought about this like what is what is the solution to this and the answer is like there's in higher education, there's just obviously great diversity, right? Around like what that experience looks like or can look like based off of the resources that the school has available to it. Um, so once this idea, this, this light bulb moment kind of goes off, what, what happens next? Like what, what is like the, you know, zero to 0.1 phase of, of building Rara?
1: Um, it was research. And so, you know, nights and weekends, talking to any student that would take the time to speak with me, just so I could learn about their experience. Um, then leveraging that to start to formulate what it was that, you know, we wanted to build. And at that time was able to take, you know, results of some data and some surveys and some interviews that I'd done to Sam, uh, who's our co-founder and CTO say, Hey, there's something here that we can build. Um, and then kind of that listening to her, continued uh where we were able to start meeting with different institutions and the leadership and we just realized that there was something here that needed to be different it needed to be disruptive not in how we act but in what we build um and so that was kind of this you know big point of yeah we need to move forward with this we need to commit more time to this um until we were fortunately able to secure uh some investment to actually go full-time
0: yeah. So both of you were still at Accenture at this time. You're brainstorming these sorts of ideas uh, on, on nights and weekends?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So nights and weekends, uh, I remember, you know, none, neither of us wanted to do work on like an Accenture laptop, so we obviously didn't. And so I like had to muster up some cash to go buy a used MacBook because my old one from college was kaput. And yeah, so we were, you know, asking friends to sneak us into WeWorks uh, so that we could have whiteboards. Um, you know, really, you know, doing things in hotel lobbies where people wouldn't kick us out, like anywhere that we could get together, that we could actually have a collaborative discussion. We were doing that as often as
0: possible. We'll jump right back into the show after a quick message from this week's sponsor. Video, you know, you need it. You know, it's all but expected from Gen Z at this point, but you've got no time and little budget. And your Marcom department is two months late on those new program brochures they promised. So, asking them to help with a video? Forget it. But what if video could be as simple as sending an email to a prospective student? Meet Goodkind, a video engagement platform designed to make each one of your prospects feel like they're getting the extra special treatment. As an enrollment manager, you're competing for attention. And in a sea full of static, boring HTML emails from other schools, a personal video is how you stand out and drive action. With Goodkind, you can bring your university, faculty, and students to life by designing an engaging, hyper-personalized, and video-first communications journey. Increase applications, increase yield, and decrease melt with the power of Goodkind. Visit wearegoodkind.com. Forward slash enrollify to book a demo and see just how powerful video marketing can be. Show your face, show you care, see the difference connection makes at wearegoodkind.com forward slash enrollify. <laughs> oh, I love that! It's like it's like fresh out of you know a uh, uh, you know uh, uh, a startup movie um, or what's the show? Silicon Valley. That's the that's a show. Yeah. yeah you know. it <laughs>
1: There's not too many parallels, you know, between us and that show in the sense that we uh, think we're pretty well behaved. Uh, <laughs>
0: and
1: we don't run into near as many fire drills.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh so so fun. though. so what was the like specific idea? Like the, or maybe a better way of phrasing this question is like, what what question were you trying to solve for? Like the idea of like reimagining. The student experience, ensuring a clearer student experience, helping students get access to the resources that they need to live effectively and and well on campus. That that's, that's a very, very, very broad undertaking. So was there like a specific question or a specific couple of questions that at least initially you all were really focused on trying to answer?
1: Yeah, well, initially, you know, we were very focused on... You know, trying to make an impact on well-being uh, for students in America through technology and through software, and we were, you know, full-time. We had a very small team at the time, and we were on campus at a at a school in Austin, and we're in meetings um, with their leadership. And you know, they came to us and said, "It's like, look, this is great. It's novel. We don't have a wellness platform, but." This actually is going to contribute to the larger problem that we and many other institutions have in America, which is we just have so much. You know, if we were to move forward on something like this, this would be one of 50 different platforms that a student is going to have to log in and use. And that's challenging for them. They're not going to do that. And that contributes to our problem where it's now one more place where we have to pull data from or workflows from because it's just so, so isolated and siloed. Mm. Um, And so we really took that to heart and we realized that, you know, rather than building to be one of the many, we had the opportunity to build to be one of the only. And so you think about the technology landscape in higher ed today, you have the student information system you have the learning management system which really covers a to z from an academic side but when it comes to everything outside of the classroom you have tons of different platforms and most of those were not built with the student in mind they were built for the departments they were built for the institution and so we realized that if we built something that was student first that they actually like to use and thought about the consumer then that really could make a lot of impact, and you know the way that we like to think about it. Because as you just said yourself, it's a very broad problem or question to answer. How do you make an impact to everyone? How does the school be everything to everyone? And we really distilled a college campus down to a very simple, you know, definition or equation, which is this community with two sides. One being this beautiful and fluid and diverse population of students as well as some other stakeholders. And on the other side, you have very static services, resources, offerings, and opportunities. And our job is just to make the space between more simple for those populations and for those individuals and more intelligent via the data for the institution. And Mm -hmm. we believe what we're seeing is that if we can do that very well, that's kind of a tide that can rise a lot of boats. This student that is um, a first-generation student, they're immediately finding their sense of belonging. This student that is excelling in this area and this area, well, they're being provided with an easier way of life. This veteran who has to commute 45 minutes, they're being met with their needs. And so a really simple solution to a very complex problem. And I think us prioritizing the user. And so I think a lot of our competitors are great companies uh, with very good people, a lot of them I like, um, but they're really thinking about this purely from a business to business perspective. and that's why you see a lot of other mobile apps have you know hundreds of features in them. And we've taken a different approach where you know we've got plenty of features, but all of them revolve around solving one problem, which is the discovery and the access of a community. Mm. And that solution is scalable to many different areas rather than overwhelming, you know, with a ton of features, all these sorts of things. And So, yeah, we integrate, but we really want this to be a consumer experience. So you think about Uber, that is one purpose to many options. Grubhub, seamless, one purpose to many options. And so we think about it with the same way in higher ed.
0: So, so, so well said. And I appreciate you taking the time to kind of like unpack that for us. Yeah, um, sorry, that I, was a, a lot. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I actually want to, I want to go like a layer deeper here. So, if I'm a prospect, if, if I'm a student um, and I'm a prospective Rara user, right. And I hear about Rara and I go to the app store and I download Rara. What is like, w- you know, what happens next? I create my account and then like, how do I, how do I use the, the app?
1: Yeah. So, you know, this is, I guess, for the administrative folks, um, but you know, there's some integrations on the back end with some of those key systems that help build the profile of each and every individual student. And the moment that they, you know, go through onboarding, you know, they're gonna see their institution, that logo, that branding, all those sorts of things. But just as, if not more importantly, they're gonna see what that institution is like that's relevant to them. And so if they're interested in, you know, certain career paths or certain interests, those are what are gonna be surfaced most if they are interested you know, in fitness and they're gonna see those sorts of services and resources. Um, and then it's really just distilling all of these different corners of campus down so that rather in the current state of searching pay my bill on the university's website and being routed to thousands of different links, I'm being routed directly to the bursar. If yeah, I yeah. am you know, struggling with chemistry rather than sifting through all the different areas that I'm going to be the five or the 10 most relevant people, things, services, resources that can help me with that struggle. Um, and so it's really about the discovery of the campus and then coupling that with access. Hmm. Because we realized that if we were just good at providing a sense of belonging and helping individual students discover the campus, that the software would ultimately render itself useless because one term in, two terms in, people would be like, I'm good, I got it. Thanks, Brahra. Um, and so that second problem with access is, you know, right now, if a student discovers something, they still have to go through a very archaic and manual process of picking up the phone, of emailing back and forth, walking and driving to campus only to be told to come back tomorrow. And so that bookings functionality. Um, and access is what really is making raw raw so sticky because there's just so many services, all of which have their own methods. And so we just centralize that for the student, provide the data, to the institution, and then we can integrate on the back end. So if the Career Center loves using Handshake. Great. It's a great platform. Keep using it. But the student gets a central place to do everything.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, gosh. I mean, it, it just makes, it, it makes so much sense. Um, And I think is just filling this like this very, uh, you know, large void of uh, of connection, especially especially coming out of like a pandemic where like people like didn't people, people were scared of connection. Right. Um, And I think that this is like a a wonderfully timed solution, too. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I mean, I'm sure that you guys think about this and report on this often, but like, obviously, if you can create that sense of community, that sense of belonging, that sense of, of, of well-being, then retention at that school is is going to be a lot greater than for populations and for populations, than for populations that, that don't find that connection, that don't find that that community, especially in that first semester, which is just so, wow. so important.
1: Well, it's so true. And, you know, even in schools, you know, that don't necessarily have retention challenges, like one of our partners in Michigan they're really focused on, you know, enhancing the student experience and making an impact on well-being and why we we're able to, you know, earn the trust of that, you know, that institution and secure that partnership was a two-year-long study that was centered around those two things. And the number one recommendation was we need a tool that we can actually use, that we actually want to use. yeah, <laughs> um, And, you know, something that's simple and, you know, actually feels like other apps that we use every day. And that's the key is that you have to be mobile first. 91% of, you know, college students' technology interactions are on a mobile device. And so, you know, a, a platform that is mobile-friendly is not going to cut it. You have to be mobile first. You have to be an actual application. And there's a lot of differences, especially when it comes to data, between mobile-friendly and mobile first.
0: Yeah, yeah. So as you've built Rara over the last... Over the last couple of years here. Actually, before before I ask this question, what was the fundraising process like? Like, you know, you this is you, you're the first company that you've that you've founded and it's a big one. Um lots of huge potential here. Uh requires a lot of time and time equals money. So, how how did you like think through fundraising and what was was it easier than you expected? Was it harder than you expected? Like talk to us about you know, your experience there?
1: No, it's not easy. Uh, And it takes up a lot of time. But, you know, and it was another kind of example of me kind of feeling like an outsider um, because there's not too, too many, you know, folks that, frankly, I'm not an engineer, um, you know, that are non-technical that can justify a business case to, you know, VC funds or to tech entrepreneurs, whoever it may be. And so it really was something that I still do to this day, even when we're partnering, which is, you know, asking for advice, Um, you know, having a consistent sense of humility and not just by talking about things, but actually showing that I think pays big dividends in whatever Mm -hmm. world or scenario you're in. And so, you know, it was, um, you know, finding people that I admired that I look up to and, you know, asking for advice folks that had experience in software as a service or in higher education, asking for advice and then genuinely listening, coming back with, you know, kind of a next level of questions or, you know, kind of a next phase of conversation and just continuing to iterate upon that until it's like, well, this is someone that clearly is passionate about solving this problem. They're listening to what I have to say. They're challenging. Some of what I have to say, I think that I want to you know, support this person. I believe in this product, but I believe in this person more so, um, and especially with early stage investing, majority of it is on you know who the team is, who the yeah. founding or the founders are, uh, and of course it has a little bit to do with you know the opportunity and the product and so on and so forth. But you really have to you know prove your worth that you're willing to put in the work, you're willing to take advice, and most importantly, willing to listen.
0: Yeah, yeah, good, good, good pieces of advice there. So. Walk us through an oh shit moment, right? A, a, a time when you thought, whoa, this idea that I'm really passionate about, like, maybe it's going to crash and burn. Maybe, maybe, maybe I was wrong, right? Like, walk us through that moment. And then like, how did, how did you like work yourself out of it?
1: Well, I mean, the biggest was, and I guess this is, you know, some additional background, but we started in 2018. And rather than you know having a great idea and a lot of passion and just building something you know really quickly and inherently blindly in our offices so that we could go out and sell, we took our time. Um, you know Everyone knows that earning the trust of institutions and in the sales cycle in higher ed can be challenging. And so a lot of companies kind of take that approach. Let's move fast, let's break things. Let's sell this product as quickly as we can. And ultimately, those products don't do what you say they're going to do. And those initial early adopters don't refer, they don't renew. And we see that a lot. And so we saw these outliers and like, well, let's do what they did, which was be patient. And so we spent from 2018 up until 2020, um, you know, partaking in or conducting a design partner program where we built raw from the ground up. And, you know, spoke to students and administrators and all of these other stakeholders, you know, daily, I mean, all the time to actually make sure that what we were building would actually provide value and would actually work. And that was going really well. And in February, 2020, it was in a very exciting time. And then March of 2020 (laughs) rears its ugly head and all of that momentum, uh, is washed away Hmm. and you know. We couldn't predict, no one could predict um, You know, what the last two years it looked like, but obviously higher ed had a lot more important things to do than assess what software to move forward with, and we actually understood that. And so we continued learning, listening, fostering the relationships that we had, rather than trying to sell at a time when it was inappropriate to do. And that was scary um, because we almost went out of business. Uh, you know, it was a time when you know, we are a business. And so we need to show growth. We need to show revenue and higher ed just wasn't necessarily listening. And that's not their fault. They had a, like I said, more important stuff to deal with. Yeah. Um, but a couple of months into the pandemic, we realized that if we could just survive and ride out, you know, this challenging time that this ultimately would be a net positive for a business. And I don't mean that to sound Uh, and sensitive to how challenging the last two years were. But during the pandemic, you know, schools started to shift their mindset from being institution-centric to student-centric, to focus Mm -hmm. on the student experience. And, you know, we read about these things in the Chronicle and Inside Higher Ed and everywhere else daily now. Uh, And in 2018, that's how we were operating. And so the pandemic kind of caused institutions to really reprioritize shift their focus to being student first to being student centric and to the student experience and we've been a benefactor of that because Mm. it wasn't a shift we had to make we've been ready for that since day one and so you know it was a bit of a silver lining but you know as a piece of advice that i've gotten which is you know um there's things in life you can't control and there's things you can't and so we couldn't control the pandemic but we could definitely control our attitudes toward what we were going to do about it to try to survive and come out, you know, for the better on the back end.
0: Yeah. And that's such a, that's such a wonderful perspective. Um, and I think just a real Testament to both how you and your team operate, but also yeah. sort of the, you know, the, the values that, that you espouse uh, through Rara. And I think that even just, your initial approach in deciding to build something of true value and understand like obviously in in startup culture folks talk a lot about like the mvp right the minimal uh minimum viable product and like how, how do we just like ship product right and like and and then we'll see what happens we'll see how people respond um and i think that you're you're all sense around Maybe higher as as a market. Um, that's that's not the best fit for. Um, and I think that the way that you approached this this build was 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 just nothing short of of spot on, regard you know pandemic or not. And then especially in light of what the past couple of years has has looked like for the industry. Yeah, I mean,
1: we were constantly testing, you know, design features and so on and so forth. But we were kind of doing it in a large vacuum where we could break things where there was an expectation that we were going to break things rather than, you know, selling and there being a discrepancy between the promises made and the promises kept. Um, and so we, as a team had to have, you know, this sense of patience, a sense of humility and also sometimes respectfully, you know, saying no, um, whether it be to institutions at a time when we needed growth, um, But also just to features. I mean, even to this day, we get requests and they're happening. And, you know, now we have the capacity to listen to them a little bit more often, but for, you know, changing a workflow from 20 steps to 10 steps. And, you know, the question that we would pose respectfully was, was that workflow going to impact the five people in your office, or is that going to impact the thousands of students on campus (laughs) in that context? it made it pretty clear what we needed to do and why we were there in the first place. Yeah, um, yeah. Cause that's where the impact is made, you yeah. know, workflow, higher ed. Hmm. is so busy overworked in a lot of ways. And so no matter that workflow being 10 steps or five, they're going to be busy. There's going to be things that they need to do. And so let's focus on the students. And as it turns out that is a downstream effect on making employees of an institution's lives easier on making their work more fulfilling and kind of being that tide again, that rises a lot of boats.
0: Yeah. Yeah. When um when you think about your your skill set, what is what's something that you're you're really great at? And then like when you think about, you know, how y- your role in the company, like what are what's the thing or, or two that you that you're not so great at that, that you might even suck at? And like, how do you determine like, where to throw your energy um, with respect to the things that you are really good at and the things that you might, you know, not be so good at, but that still require some of your time and focus.
1: Yeah. Uh I'd say, you know, <laughs> we talked about this, but I don't really like saying, you know, what I think my best skill set is. Um, but I'd say what I'm consistent at doing is listening. Um, and I think that's that's really important, if not the most important thing to do as a leader. Um And something that, you know, I've struggled with, but it's the best piece of advice that I've gotten from one of our investors is to not look at things through rose-colored glasses. Um, You know, you need to kind of see things as what they are rather than trying to tie a bow on them. And that ultimately helps you be a better leader. Uh, Mm -hmm. It helps you, you know, be objective, helps you communicate better, you know. And so I think that that's something that I'd struggled with for a little bit, just because, there's implicit bias as being the founder of something that's either going well or is the opportunity to do well um, and you need to face reality. And I think that's the number one rule of business is facing reality and then communicating accordingly and acting and strategizing uh, accordingly.
0: Mm. What's um, something on your, you know, on, on your resume, your, your life resume that may or may not actually be on your, your LinkedIn profile that you're, that you're especially proud of, of, of accomplishing, whether that's working on a particular project, whether that's, uh, you know, taking on an Ironman, like what, what is something when you think about sort of your, your professional journey to date that, that brings you a lot of joy and satisfaction, even if it wasn't a particular role?
1: Uh, the team building, uh, a great, great team. Hmm. Um, and I think that starts with, you know, what I'm, you know, extremely proud of is the relationship that I have with my co-founder and, you know, us working together a little bit before starting Raw Raw together, um, but just how that relationship has grown uh, through really good times, tough times, great conversations, tough conversations, um, and how that's kind of poured, you know, downhill in a positive way to how the rest of the team operates. Hmm. Um, You know, there are, 13 people on the team right now. Uh, There's about to be 18 um, and I, you know, it's my job uh, to, you know, try to build them up, but I believe that all of them, you know, show up to work every day, excited by what we're doing, by being happy, by, you know, how we work together, how we communicate, how we treat each other and how we treat others. And so that's what I'm most proud of. And it will continue to be what I'm most proud of. Therefore it's a top priority because all software can be faster, better, cheaper, prettier. And so the number one differentiating factor that we have and will have is our people and our team. And so whether that's teammate number two to teammate, you know, 1,000 one day, if we earn it, uh, all of them need to, you know, feel that way. And, you know, some of that's on them, but it's mainly on Sam and I as leaders, uh, building a great culture in a place that, you know, encourages diversity and encourages different ways of thought and encourages change. Uh, and so that's always going to be the thing I'm most proud of. And also the thing I'm prioritizing looking forward. A
0: couple final questions for you, for you, Cooper. And the first one is over the course of your time building raw, again, we're still, you know, just a, just a few years in here, but what is a, what's the best and worst pieces of advice that you've received as a, as an edtech founder,
1: um, the best piece of advice is what um, you know. The two best pieces of, of advice are probably from our two main investors. Um, one of which you know said, "Face reality um, and you know don't look at things through their rose-colored glasses." And I think that's helped me a lot. Uh, the second is you know focus on your employees. Focus on your teammates. We actually don't really say employees too often. We say teammates um, because if they come to work every day and they're happy, then they'll perform. If they are fulfilled, then they'll stay. Um, And that was from uh, Dave Duffield, who founded Workday, founded PeopleSoft, which a lot of schools use. Uh, So that was something I wanted to listen to and still do. Um, As far as worst pieces of advice goes, it's a tough question. Um, because, you know, I try not to harbor on those things, you know, you always listen. Um, but there's not really a bad piece of advice that's come to mind. Uh, but that's probably because I haven't, you know, compartmentalized it. I haven't internalized (laughs) it and I just kind of focused on the things that have been good advice, but yeah, I'd have to think hard on that. Um, maybe it would be, you know, changing markets, uh, or adjusting certain things. But those are all things that, you know, we quickly were like, no, that doesn't make sense. So that's not what we want to do. Yeah. Uh, especially, you know, trying to tackle multiple markets at once is, is never a good idea. Yeah. So you need to yeah. focus.
0: Yeah. And my final, my final question for you is I know that we're Robert's story is like, you know, fresh off the press We're we're, we're just getting into things right now um, which is super, super exciting, but like looking ahead, if, if you were, to start another company, let's say in the next five years, um, maybe 10, right. If you want to look at that, you know, that far out, what, what problem might you want to tackle or, or solve with this company? What, what industry might it be in? Um, and, and any ideas on sort of like how you'd, how you'd bring that company to life.
1: Uh, procurement. No, That's good. Uh, just kidding. Uh, there maybe there's some rooms for improvement there, um, <laughs> but it, it would be honestly, you know, I could see, you know, what we do today being something that can go, you know, in other places. Uh, at the simple fact that, you know, in TechCrunch and all these different publications and the media and VC dollars, everyone's talking about Web three, and there's a lot of application there, but. The fact of the matter remains that people and human beings are still struggling in real life. Access and equity are still massive problems that need to be solved, and those are things that we focus on and things that we're making an impact on. And so I think that there's applications well beyond higher ed. Um, and so I guess that's my you know founder answer, uh, but the Cooper answer probably would be you know maybe a restaurant. I don't know. My favorite yeah. thing to do is cooking, uh, and I think that. I don't know what has a higher failure rate if it's startups or restaurants, but those are probably one or two. So maybe, you
0: know, I'm, I'm i like pain or I, I don't know what it is, but yeah, maybe that. Yeah. I can see it now, man. Like a, an Italian wine bar, some, you know, great, great pasta. Um, all maybe. Sina- yeah. I've got a,
1: I, I don't know. I've got a smoker and so Ooh. You know, some brisket
0: and some ribs
1: that could be dangerous as well. So dude, who knows,
0: Dude, great. Well, hey, uh, this has been a blast. I really appreciate you, Cooper, taking time out of your busy life to come and chat with us. Um, For folks listening, we'll have links to Bravo's website where they can learn a lot about uh, what you guys are doing, what you're building. We'll have your LinkedIn profile linked as well so folks can kind of contact you and get in touch if they want to learn a little bit more about you and and, and the product. Is there any where else you might want to direct folks to if they're interested in learning a little bit more about what you guys are building?
1: Uh, you know, to us, uh, you know, as a team, uh, we're all accessible, we're all available and we all love to learn, uh, and we all really like to improve. And so, you know, uh, anyone that's interested in hearing about what we can do for the student experience, how quickly we can do that and how much that's resonating with the students themselves, uh, please reach out. You know, we say that we're student first and we mean it and kind of the evidence of our growth and the partnerships that we're having with schools like Michigan uh, and the reception from students is kind of emulating or ev- ev- evidencing that. So,
0: Wonderful. Well, thanks again, man, for your time. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Starter Stories. Starter Stories is brought to you by Enrollify, a learning community for enrollment managers and higher ed marketers. Enrollify was built to empower enrollment marketers with the ideas, the strategies, and the tools that they need to optimize the resources that they do have to generate the results that they need. You can explore our other podcasts or sign up for one of our newsletters, or watch an episode of For Ideas, our weekly video segment, at enrollify.org. Oh, and don't forget to hit that subscribe button or leave us a review. And if you like what we're about, share this content with a friend. Finally, if you know a founder in the edtech or education consulting space that you think we should have on this show, please send me an email directly at zach, that's Z-A-C-H, at enrollify.org.